And welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and our guest this week is Dennis Dorr. Dennis is an actor, producer, director, and a longtime friend who I met on one of my first acting forays in Ithaca, New York, in a piece called Dealer's Choice, written by Patrick Marber. Dealer's Choice played at the now-so-oh-so-very-sadly-defunct Firehouse Theater. We miss you, Firehouse. It was the first time I had really noticed how an actor could pull focus simply by standing still and attentively watching the action happening across the stage. Dennis has that kind of presence. Dennis also directed a production of Spoon River Anthology for the Firehouse Theater, and now he's engaged in a new production of Spoon River for the Encore Players of Trumansburg, New York. So, of course, we had to sit down with Dennis last week and talk about why he'd want to do the show a second time and what his fascination is with that show. Because, uh, it inspires me. Uh, I think Masters uh, was a mystic. And uh, if you read the monologues, the, the monologues are... are look, I'll, t- I'll give you a, a fact about how much respect they're given. Uh, Meisner, what's his first name? Sanford. Yeah, Sanford. (laughs) Sandy. I'd better get that right. Of course. Well, I can't pull things out of the files anymore like I used to. Uh, Sanford Meisner uh, uses them in his uh, technique uh, of teaching, you know, emotional memory. Yeah. uh, Because he so values them. And uh, as I say, I value them because it's extraordinary to me how the man could have channeled so many different egos. Mm-hmm. And through the course of his poetry, he reveals an understanding about the mystery. He refers to something called the energy in many of his monologues. I make first mention of it early on with a character called Fiddler Jones. He has a line that says, The earth keeps some vibration going there in your heart, and that is you. Expressing the nature of the soul. Yes. Yes. So he was, he's one. He's directly relates the essence of the soul to being connected to nature as opposed to I'm going to say a, a, a religious Sunday go to meeting kind of thing right. where the soul is more ethereal directly to God it's a question of finding in physical manifestation the mystery and what form and shape and place it takes mm-hmm. in that realm that realm is so inst- instantiated in people's consciousness they, they establish their idea of what reality is because of the density of physical manifestation the, the 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 mere gravity of it. We use the word gravity, gravitas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The word gravitas has two different. The weight of being. Yeah. Masters, uh, to me, was just an extraordinary, extraordinary man. Uh, I know that he was the law partner of Clarence Darrow. That I did not know. Yeah. See, that's what's okay. so strange. You talk about synchronicities. Yeah. Uh, in this instance, Edgar Lee Masters was the law partner of Clarence Darrow. And I don't have to tell the theater, theater community any further than in, Inherit the Wind. So, yeah, the, these little synchronicities. And when I started reading them, I, you know, I had a holy shit reaction when I said, this guy is really awake. This guy's on to something. Well, how this developed, that's a whole other story. How it got put together is a is, is story in itself. Well, it, it's it's... Actually, not a play. It's a collection of two hundred and forty-four poems. Yeah, two hundred nine were published in two, in nineteen fifteen, right. and it caused such a, a furor um, for many reasons, which we can go into. 
Um, it, it became a national, you know, bestseller, and the publisher demanded 35 additional monologues, which were published in in 1916. He, he demanded, of course, probably some additional monologues, but 35 were come up with mm-hmm. by masters that were added in in 1916. So the total is 244. Right. So we culled from those 244 through a very slow process. The way I started out was, uh, you know, you, I, I must tell you the story because so much of this uh, revolves around around the beginning, mm-hmm. how it how it happened. They asked me. There were people who were interested in forming a community theater group, and uh, Alice Ploss. Uh, who worked with me as Daddy Warbucks when I was asked by Catherine Sellers, who taught at the uh, school district uh, uh, back then, is actually back in the play again. She has had a heart transplant. Ouch. Uh, wow. Yeah. And she's coming alive by doing p- publicity for the play <laughs> from Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> Good on her. Well, we also have somebody coming from Laconia, New Hampshire. I know Laconia, New Hampshire. It it's, harkens back to my childhood. Long story. Colby That's Shaw right. College? No, 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 no. no. Do you summer, know? Camp, summer camp. Do you know that place, though, Colby Shaw? I do not. Okay. So let me tell you about Margaret. So I Googled, when the theater group was thinking of forming up, they asked me to be on board, and my first thought, well, what are we going to do for a first play? And I'm thinking Spoon River, you know, for all the obvious reasons. It's sure. easy, easy for community actors. It's only one set. There's no, nothing to move. There's right. no props. There's no interaction between characters. You just add touches here and there, music. You, you know, you have a theme. You, you use movement, whatever you do when you do theater. Um, but uh, I, I, I thought I'd produce that to the board, but they already had Alice and uh, B- uh, Ploss and Ann Bialke, who were bo- uh, board members, mm-hmm. the secretary and president of that organization. Uh, we're old friends. They're attached at the hip. And Alice has just years and years and years and years of p- producing plays in the middle school as musical director and music teacher in the school district. Sure, yeah. So she's the president of the board. That's the Trumansburg School District. Trumansburg, New York. Yeah. Well, they had it in mind to do Oliver, and I wasn't going to argue with those two ladies, but here I am in my place uh, doing Spoon River a little bit further down the road. When I first thought of doing it back then in February a year ago, uh, a year and about 13 months now, I Googled uh, Spoon River Anthology, Feminism, Suffragist. Um, I, okay. I, 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 my, I wanted to give, I have this whole thing about, I, I guess we're going to end up talking about, I have this whole thing that I'm a little bit uh, ranting on these days, but it's trying to understand the true relation between the masculine and the feminine principles and to elevate in our society the feminine principle to where it should be. Um, the, the fact that, the, you know, it still kills me that they got the vote in 1920. And there's talk of this in Spoon River, too. This was published in 1915. In all the places in the world, when I Googled that, yeah. this young lady who had won a capstone thesis award for a senior thesis in, at, I think it's Colby Shaw College in Laconia, New Hampshire, comes up. She's the first one in the world. A lot of people these days, when they talk about theater, they talk about relevancy. Uh-huh. All right. And for those people who haven't read Spoon River, and I'm sure there's like five or six of them out there at this particular point, I find that the relevancy isn't even a question, but it is an old piece. I mean, 
The poetry? Yeah, absolutely. No, and the poetry. The fact that it was even adapted for stage. Well, it was. The, let's say this: it was done in free verse, which was revolutionary at the time. I'm told. Right. It wasn't done. Um, he t talked about things that nobody talked about. He was talking about rape. He was talking about uh, injustice. In, mm -hmm. in, in, he was talking about men's lives being crushed. He was talking about corporate, uh, corporate takeover. He was talking about big business and power. Uh, he had so many pertinent things to say, and because they're some of them as poetic as they are, yeah. they're even more enchanting. He deals with the subject of death and the impending death. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the meaning of life in that context, as if death because, were at yeah. your left shoulder. If you lived, made every action, every thought, everything you did was in the context of your own death. It's the, the piece you wanted me to do, Ralph Rhodes. Yes. It ends, okay, um, with basically him saying... I'm doing, I'm doing Ralph Rhodes. I'm You're doing, doing Ralph Rhodes? I'm doing Lyman King, the one I did for you first. Yes. <clears throat> I put Mrs. George Reese between them. It was her, her husband that was yeah. sent to jail. Exactly. And not yes. Ralph Rhodes. Yeah. And then I do Ralph Rhodes. I go Lyman King, Mrs. George Reese, Ralph Rhodes. Yeah. And, and his last lines are, there comes a knock at the door. This is the knock that... You know, uh, it's the knock. Long drowned out by popping corks and the peacock screams of demi-reps, although I'm changing it to prostitutes. Are you? Yeah. Okay. And you and, look up... And there's your... And there's the your way into your head was gray and your heart skip beats to say to you, the, the game, game is ended. ended. I've called for you. Go out on Broadway and be, be run, run over. over. They'll ship you back, back to Spoon, Spoon River. River. Okay. <laughs> the essence of so many of these 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 voices, the, it's some of it is is bitterness from beyond the grave. Some of it is yeah, some of it is bitterness. Some of it is continued foolishness. They still don't see. Some of it is ironic. Some of it is metaphorical. Some of these are many of my people here are prophets. I call them my priestesses and my yeah. prophets. And they come to reveal the mystery. The, the, the riddle is presented in Act 1, and the mystery is explained. Hopefully, more of it is explained in Act 2. So there are more. I have a, a sequence of nine women uh, building up to the last monologue. There's one male in between. Of course, I took, I took that role. I love being director. It's so much fun. I can take whatever parts I want. So, all right. So, out of 244 of these things, yeah. you talked about weaning them down. How Margaret, many, how many, Margaret and I, for every single how monologue, many are you doing? all 240, we're doing 60, I think 60 now. It's been pared down. <clears throat> We set it up with 63, but it's been pared down to 60. So I do a marriage sequence that actually I thought I would begin with Ollie and Fletcher, then pass to Mrs., uh, Mr. Benjamin Pancher and his wife, and then pass to uh, the Perkapiles, Roscoe and, and Mrs. Perkapile. And I do have the Perkapiles and the Panchers, but we took out Ollie and Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher is, is, is really just impossible for a community actor to do. It's too long, it's too abstract. You know, the whole process has been anxiety-producing, as you know. How many actors? Sixteen. Well, actually, now one dropped out. One just dropped out. A friend, a friend, uh, uh, she, she uh, wrote me that she has a friend that was diagnosed with cancer and that she needs to take care of her, so she felt she had to drop out. So we immediately went into a panic. Right. And we solved the panic within 24 hours. 
got a new, two new, new people on board instantly, friends yeah. of the people that are already in the cast, talented. Right. And uh, so the, the leak was, was sealed up uh, very Theater is very never quickly. without its panic, one way or another. It's interesting, you know. It's, it's, it's a tightrope. Honestly, putting on a production entails so many details, so many people, so many people to be depended upon, so many things that have to go right, and not everything goes right. <laughs> it's and a carnival. It's, I mean, to normal people out there, why do it? Why? If you, it, it's 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 like zip lining or bungee jumping. You know, it's you, God knows if something goes wrong, what's going to happen? Well, I think when you put your faith in something beautiful, or good, or, or true, it, it doesn't matter, and you devote yourself to it with the best that you can bring forth. Sometimes magic happens. Sometimes magic happens. No, I think ha magic happens a lot let more me, than... Let me tell you about it, how this got set up, too. All right, yeah. in, in, 19, uh, in 2014, when the board was set up in February, and I'm thinking Spoon River, yeah. I have no realization that the, the, I'm one year away from the 100th anniversary. It didn't cross my mind. I'm just thinking I'll do Spoon River. Why not? Yeah. You know, so uh, I don't remember when it occurred to me, but it, what, the way it went down was we thought we'd do Spoon River in November. That was the original idea, but we had to wait for the school to open before we, the board could tell us whether the space, the elementary school auditorium, would be available in November. When they opened, we were told that they weren't, and it would have to be pushed back to the following year. So I'm kind of waiting around and thinking, oh, well, okay, this is good. Now I can write the script instead of doing Aidman's production. Yeah. Um, but Charles Aidman, by the way, who originally who did put this into theatrical form. Right. Yes. Um, so we're thinking February, and we're not hearing anything, and finally at some point, oh no, I remember, this is what happened. I then had the realization that it was the 100th anniversary, or maybe I saw it online. No, I didn't. I, I realized that it was going to be the 100th anniversary, mm -hmm. so I called the school myself. I was so excited. I called the school myself, and I said, look, we got to nail this down. Is February available? And they said, no. Uh, let, me, let us check. No, February isn't available. I said, is there time available? And they said, let, me, let us look. Yes, April, the entire month of April. I said, great, nail it down. We want it. They said, what, when do you want it? I said, uh, my daughter's birthday is the 11th. I'll take it that weekend. So I took the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, because my daughter is April 11th. But I had in the back of my mind a suspicion, because I know about this kind of shit. <laughs> so I went to Wikipedia, and I, 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 I researched, when was it published in 1915? Guess what month? April. You got it. wasn't hard. Come no. on, you set me up. So, the enormity of this thing, it's... it's well, people are... What's, what's, what's the production going to be like? I mean, how... What's what the I set going to be like? How are the, how are the actors going to address themselves? I've, I've created in my mind, I want something uh, ancient. So I've created my own proscenium, which will evoke uh, Rome or even Greece. There'll be painted icons on the, on the various parts, the vertical and horizontal parts. Contained within the proscenium, the stone proscenium will be purple curtains, and they'll be held. They'll, they'll, this will all be in plywood, and this will all be painted to seem yes. to yes. seem this way. But we're creating a smaller theater within the theater, 
the elementary school auditorium is too open. I need. I wanted to create a sense of the Victorian age out of out of which this comes. Yeah. But also something more ancient. So it will have a proscenium and it will have a backdrop. The backdrop will be a graveyard on a, on a, a moonlit, full moonlit night with clouds and mist. Right. They're even talking about using uh, using uh, dry ice. At, oh, at this point, that's always fun. <laughs> Somebody's got a fog machine. Uh, well, they said the fog machine might set off the uh, set fire off the alarm, fire yeah, alarms. Probably. So they're talking dry ice instead. Uh, I was just laughing at this point. Uh, we had a meeting with techs and and painters last night for the first time, and Bev, my old friend, who's my sta stage manager, Bev Hancock, brought with her uh, a fellow named Mel Voorhees, who's been doing. Uh, the uh, sets at the Newfield School District. Did we talk about this earlier? This no, is before you set me up. We were talking about it earlier before you set up your... I think we did address it. Yeah. Right. And so Mel came on board, and he's got 40 years' experience at this, and he's a, a talented Finnish painter, a 3D painter, bringing something to a 3D look. Right. Um, so this is going to have a pretty powerful impact. We'll have units, what I call opportunities for the actors to stand and sit, to mm -hmm. place themselves in the form of gravestones and you know monuments placed in, in opportune places. This yet all still needs to be designed, but we'll, right. get, we'll get there. Right. This, this is evoking a memory of doing our town. <laughs> yes, it, 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 near, the, in, near the end when everybody's waiting for... I still haven't figured out what they're waiting for, but you know they're all sitting in chairs, just looking off into the distance, um, and here they are on gravestones. Well, interesting. The last monologue is Willie Metcalf, mm -hmm. and Willie Metcalf is a Christ-like. He is a Christ-like figure. Uh, so I have my priestesses precede him, including the village atheist among them. Uh, it was a very important monologue and very dear in my heart. I couldn't do this play without my doing the village atheist. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, that one I'll save as a surprise. Okay. But Willie Metcalf ends the play. I should. We should read Willie Metcalf. You want to read it? Would you like to read? You want it? me to read yeah, it? Yeah, you read it. Oh, okay. Um, I'll read it if you want. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Just read it. Read it. I was Willie Metcalf. They used to call me Doctor Myers because they said I looked like him, and he was my father, according to well, Jack McGuire. I lived in a livery stable, sleeping on the floor side by side with Roger Bauman's bulldog, or sometimes in a stall. I could crawl between the legs of the wildest horses without getting kicked. We, we knew each other. On spring days, I tramped through the country to get the feel on which I sometimes lost, that I was, I was not a separate thing from the earth. I used to lose myself as, as if in sleep by lying with eyes half open in the woods. Sometimes I talked with animals, even toads and snakes, anything that had an eye to look into. Once I saw a stone in the sunshine trying to turn into jelly. In April days in the cemetery, the dead people gathered all about me and grew still, like a congregation in silent prayer. I never knew whether I was a part of the earth with flowers growing in me or whether I walked... Now I know. He's a symbol of great innocence, and he has some embodies in some way, in almost a Christ-like way, the, the majesty of the divine, and he, he's, and the, the beauty of his innocence, and yeah. not, not even being. 
privy to it in a way. He's, he's perfectly guileless as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah. yeah, he's a young boy too. He, he discovers as he goes. So let's go back a little bit. Um, I want to I want to talk about your 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 background in theater. How you got interested in theater? Because uh, you're not one of these people that went to school for it. You were you were a dentist. Oh yeah, but no, I wasn't. I mean, I was, but that just was set up. That was a setup. But at that point, I was already transfixed on synchronicities. Because, well, I, because I, I, I remember, the first time I remember you was when we worked on Dealer's Choice. That was back in 2000. Mm-hmm. You, me, and five or six other people. Jamie Lewis was in it. Oh, I've seen pictures. Matt Knapp was I've in seen that. Pictures. It was directed by Tom Newton. Was it? Yes, it was. I remember now. And that show contains... My favorite stage direction of all time, which was was from Tom to you, uh-huh. when you asked him a question about what you should be doing when somebody else across the stage was doing something, and his response was, "Stand there, fuckhead, and shut up." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I and that was that was kind of my that was the first show that I had done in Ithaca. <laughs> And, <laughs> You're not likely to forget that one. I'm not likely to forget. Well, it's the, there were there were a number of things about that show that I am not likely to forget. You know, Jamie Lewis telling me horrifically horrible, dirty, dis, most vile jokes he could think yeah, of. He still he still when, does on stage. Oh, when on stage when, when there's action going on across the stage. Oh, yeah. then I had to go do lines and. and uh. I, I it, it took everything I had not to just crack up and lose it or forget my lines. Oh, that's great. And yeah, Jamie would be behind me, feeding me lines, feeding me lines, trying to trying to get me to work. And it's, oh my god, I, I I had so much fun with that show. I've never met a character like Jamie Lewis. That's the first time. Actually, I think that's the only time we worked together. I'll I'll, t- I'll tell the story short so it doesn't get long. Right. I had one opportunity to play Little League Baseball. I was a good athlete. I was strong, I was fast, and I had good rhythm. Uh, so I was a good athlete, and I loved baseball. I loved baseball. I had been to Ebbets Field to see Jackie Robinson play. I had, my mom's aunt lived in Brooklyn. I, had, they, I slept over there, and I saw Jackie Robinson at Ebbets Field. I was, and my uncle was a passionate Dodger fan, and so was I. I loved baseball. Um... I had one chance to, to, to play in Little League the last year, my oldest year, and we were maybe, there were 16 games in a half of a season. We were maybe eight and, or maybe seven and nine, something like that, or six and ten. And we played the, the, the long stand. This is this new team, new team in the league for the yeah. first year. We played the long the Bells, the Belmore Baldwin. I forget who they were. They were called the Bells, but I forget who represent them. We played them in the one game final. We were losing ten nothing. It's a six game, a six inning game in in Little League. We were losing ten nothing. Um, I came to the plate in the bottom of the sixth inning, our one last chance, with the bases loaded, and it scored 10-7. Now, what do you think? Now, come on, is that a setup? Is uh, that a script that's being written? The count goes to three and two, George. The like count, I know, and, and it scares the hell out of me. To this day, it still scares. I don't understand it. <sighs> it 
the, the pitch goes to three, and the count goes to three and two. At three and two, they decide to bring in Freddie Eisen, to bring in a new pitcher. They're going to use the adult strategy, the major league strategy of making the kid go sit on the sidelines and have anxiety and come back for the last pitch. I'm on the side in fucking prayer. Count goes to three and two. They bring in Freddie Eisen. Freddie Eisen turned out to be a rabbi which is an interesting thing. And we've talked, <laughs> I've talked to Freddie about this pitch. So I come out of my trance, I go to the plate, and a ball gets hit over the fence. First time a ball by a little leaguer has been hit over the fence. And I'm shaking, and people are cheering. The town is going nuts. And I'm running around the bases feeling very, very uncomfortable because something had just happened to me. I had participated in some kind of story, and it wasn't me. I made a prayer, and it got answered. What does that mean? But how did it come to the surface? Maybe you just got lucky. No, that doesn't. I don't know. It didn't feel that way. It didn't feel that way. Okay. I never was able to possess that from, from, from that moment on. It was, it, was, it was like, look, there can be magic, and it's not you. So don't worry about it. But I'll, We'll show you that there can be. And that's really what it's come down to now, is that if you look for what is divine in physical manifestation, you're only going to find it in two ways. You're going to find it in symbols that activate something inside you and some physical manifestation and some inner inclination. There's a link between them and you get energized. So it's symbols that have that capacity in physical manifestation and synchronicities. When an event happens, that's just too weird. When events get arranged where the possibility is astronomically impossible, and yet it happens nonetheless. If you were to ask me, that's, I would say, the way magic manifests. It manifests through symbols and through synchronicities. Okay. Why not? It's perception. It's in consciousness. Which is perception. Yes, which is perception. Which is perception. Which perception is, can be played with, and perception is different. I want to go back to Spoon River, and mm -hmm. I, w I want you to give us one more monologue. All right. I'll do Lyman King, I, I think, because okay. he's in the first one that's important in this. He's the first voice that sets the scene and says, look, this is the way, this is the deal. Pay attention. Lyman says, uh, you may think, passerby, that fate is a pitfall uh, outside of yourself, uh, around which you may walk by the use of foresight and wisdom. <laughs> Thus you believe, viewing the lives of other men, as one who in godlike fashion bends over an anthill, seeing how their, their difficulties could be avoided, but pass on into life. In time, you will see fate approach you in the shape of your own image in the mirror. Or you shall sit alone by your own hearth, and suddenly the chair by you shall hold a guest. You shall know that guest and read the authentic message of his eyes. Thank you, Dennis. My it's pleasure. An absolute pleasure speaking with you today and cannot wait to see the production of Spoon River Anthology, directed by none other than yourself. Bless you, George. <laughs>